is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning, live and in studio. And we're going to start out, as we always do, with our weekly wrap-up for the week. And we found that it was a busy week for the stock market. It left the major indices with solid gains. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed at a new record high on Thursday, building on that during Friday's session. While the S&P 500 closed above 4,700, that's at its highest level since January of 22. Friday's close marked seven consecutive winning weeks for the major indices. Stocks surged after the market learned that the FOMC vote unanimously to leave the target range for the Fed funds rates unchanged at five and a quarter to five and a half percent. This was accompanied by an updated summary of economic projections that featured an improved growth outlook for 23, a lower inflation outlook for 23 and 24 and a median estimate of three rate cuts in 24 versus a previous estimate of two rate cuts. Fed Chair Powell also acknowledged in his press conference that the FOMC discussed when it will become appropriate to begin dialing back on its policy restraint. Atlanta Fed Fed President Bostic, who is a 24 voter, told Reuters, meanwhile, that he expects two rate cuts in 24 starting in the second half of the year. The Fed's funds futures market had been pricing in two rate cuts in 24 ahead of the FOMC meeting. It's now pricing in six rate cuts for 24, the first rate cut coming in March. Other central banks followed the Fed's lead and left the prospective rates unchanged, too. The ECB left its quarter of key policy rates unchanged as expected, along with the Bank of England, the Swiss National Bank, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Notably, however, the ECB President Lagarde and officials of other banks indicated that there are fur- they are further away from rate cuts than Fed Powell Chair disclosed from that FOMC had begun discussing cuts. The Treasury market also had a strong rally in response to the Fed's dovish pivot. The two-year note dropped 28 basis points to 4.46%. The 10-year note plunged 30 basis points, point th- or 3.93%. The 10-year note yield following falling before 4% acted as added support for equities this week. Just about everything came along for the upside ride in the market. The S&P 500 equal weight jumped 3.9%, while relative softness in the mega-cap space left the S&P 500 up 2.5% for the week. Only one of the S&P 500 sectors registered a loss, that was communication services, which was down one-tenth of 1%, while the rate-sensitive real estate sector jumped 5.3%. Other top-performing sectors, including materials, up 4%, consumer discretionary, up 3.5%, and industrials, up 3.6%. Economic data was mostly consistent with soft-landing narrative. The November Consumer Price Index was mostly in line with expectations, although core CPI was somewhat sticky, while the November producer price index showed some welcome disinflation. Retail sales rebounded in November from a slump in October. Weekly jobless claims are all still running below recession levels. 
The latter half of the week featured heavier-than-normal volume on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, due in part to the huge quarterly options and futures expiration on Friday. Increased activity was also related to a rebalance of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. So taking a look at the daily action, on Monday, the major indices traded in mixed fashion in early going. The lackluster price action was due in part to ongoing consolidation efforts and a wait-and-see mentality ahead of the busy week that featured the November Consumer Price Index on Tuesday, the FOMC meeting on Wednesday, and the November Retail Sales Report on Thursday. In addition, the ECB and the Bank of England had their own policy meetings on Thursday. Market participants were also hesitant in front of the two Treasury note sales. The $50 billion three-year note auction and the $37 billion 10-year note auction were both met with weak demand, but Treasury settled off of their lows despite these results. Treasuries moved off their interday high yields, coincided with an uptick in buying activity in the market. The major indices also settled into a steady climb around 1 p.m. Eastern Time, left stocks near their best levels at the close, but there was no economic data of note on Monday. On Tuesday, the major indices ended the session near their highs of the day. The S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average each logged in a half a percent gain. The NASDAQ Composite gained seven-tenths of one percent. Stocks started the session with a more muted price action, though as investors initially reacted to the November Consumer Price Index. The report was largely in line with expectations, but market participants got hung up on a bit of a sticky nature of the core CPI. Relative strength in the mega-cap space offered some support to index performance, but many other stocks participated in Tuesday. But, but many other stocks participated in Tuesday's gains. Ongoing buying activity in this seasonality strong period of the market was supported by early resilience to selling efforts, along with a fear of missing out on further gains. After some whipsaw action in response to the CPI data, the Treasury market was relatively calm. Separately, Oracle was a standout loser following its mixed second quarter earnings report and its in-line fiscal third quarter guidance. So reviewing Tuesday's economic data, we saw that the November NFIB Small Business Optimism Index was at 90.6. It was at 90.7 a month ago. And the consumer CPI was up, November CPI, I should say, was up a tenth of 1%. November's core CPI was up three-tenths. The key takeaway from these reports is the recognition that core CPI was sticky, largely because the shelter index, which is up four-tenths percent, continues to be sticky. That should continue to give the Fed some pause about cutting rates anytime soon. It may well keep the Fed vocalizing the idea that it could possibly raise rates again if progress in fighting inflation stalls. And on Wednesday, we had the stock market rallied. The Dow Jones Industrial Average surged more than 500 points to close new and new record high. The S&P 500 closed above 4,700 at its highest level since January of 22. Stocks initially traded in a cautious manner, despite some welcome disinflation seen in the November price, uh, November producer price index. Market participants are not showing a lot of conviction as they waited for the latest policy move by the FOMC. Buying picked up immediately after the market learned that the committee voted unanimously to leave the target range for Fed funds rates unchanged at five and a quarter and five and a half. 
Stocks and bonds both exhibited strong responses to these developments, suggesting that participants believe the Fed is more aligned now with the market's more hopeful rate cut view. Market participants also adjusted rate cut expectations in response to the Fed's latest moves. Just about everything came along for the rally, which featured the outperformance of the small cap stocks. Reviewing Wednesday's economic data, we saw that the weekly Mortgage Bankers Association's applications index was up 7.4%. Week before, it was up 2.8%. November's PPI was flat at zero, and the November quarter PPI was also flat at zero. So the key takeaway for this continued disinflation view is that the index for processed goods for immediate demand was unchanged month over month, while the index for unprocessed goods for immediate demand declined 1.4% in intermediate demand. Yeah, it declined 1.4% in November. Get my tongue tied here. Okay, Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We'll be back in a minute. DeWard and Bodie's annual year-end mattress clearance is on now at their Bellingham Mattress Showroom. With huge savings and a special offer this weekend you won't find anywhere else. Now through Sunday, DeWard and Bodie will pay your sales tax on all qualifying in-stock mattresses and give you no interest financing for up to five full years on qualifying orders with no money down at checkout. Plus, make your purchase by this Sunday at noon and DeWard and Bodie will deliver, set up, and haul away your old mattress before Christmas while availability lasts. Combine these special offers with end-of-season savings up to 50% off on select clearance, floor model, and closeout beds. Experience the largest selection of in-stock mattresses in Whatcom County from Tempur-Pedic, Stearns & Foster, and Sealy with over 35 beds on display. Save your holiday cash at DeWard & Bodie this weekend and they'll pay your sales tax on all qualifying in-stock mattresses or give you no money down and no interest for up to five years on qualifying orders. Only at DeWard & Bodie, the appliance and mattress giants. Financing OAC qualifications apply. Hello, folks. This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham, and I'd like to invite you to join me every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. right here on KGMI for the Aging Hour. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probate, wills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m., and we can show you how to set your family up for success. Hi, this is Joe Tian from KGMI. We know you hear local businesses advertise with us every day, but did you know that when you do your holiday shopping online or in-store with a local business, nearly 70% of every dollar you spend stays right here in our community. That's better than a lump of coal any day. Thanks for letting us be part of your holiday. We'll see you at a local business soon. A holiday reminder to shop local from Cascade Radio Group and KGMI. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you. We're live. We're in studio. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's up old Highway 99 for those of us that's been around for a while. Parallel to I-5. North of the Slater Road on your right. 
And we're out in the Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. Give us a call. Check us out. Check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. got finally got wealthwakeup.com working again. Okay, continuing on with our week's market summary that we're looking at on Thursday, we saw the market had another strong showing after Wednesday's rally. The Russell 2000 jumped 2.7%. The NASDAQ composite was up two-tenths. The S&P up three-tenths. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 4%, four-tenths of 1%, registering more bodice gains due to the relative weakness in their mega-cap constituents. The three major indices hit an air pocket in early afternoon, briefly fell below Wednesday's closing levels. There was no specific catalyst to account for the move, which was likely related to a lingering sense that stocks are overbought on the short-term basis. Still, many stocks recovered from their session lows. The overall positive bias was a continuation of Wednesday's post-FOMC surge. Buyers have been responding to a more dovish-looking policy tone from the FOMC and the Fed Chair Powell. Other central banks followed the Fed's lead, left their respective rates unchanged. The rally continued for the Treasury market on Thursday also. So reviewing Thursday's key economic data, we saw that weekly jobless claims were at 202,000. A week ago, they were at 222,000. And prior, and prior, and the weekly continuing claims was at 1.876 million. The key takeaway from this report is the level of initial jobless claims, which is a leading indicator, is a long way still from being associated with levels registered during a recession. Then we had the November retail sales report out, and it was up three tenths of one percent. And if you take out autos, it was still up two tenths of one percent. So the key takeaway from this report is that it remains supportive of a soft landing outlook as the rebound in sales from October reflects an ongoing propensity of consumers to spend on goods. We saw November's export prices down nine-tenths of one percent. If you take ag down, it was ag. if you took them out, take ag out of that number, it was down over one percent. And November's import prices were down four-tenths of one percent. If you take oil out, it was actually up two-tenths of one percent. Other business inventories were down a tenth of 1%. So then on Friday, the market closed out its solid week, a somewhat mixed note. The NASDAQ composite climbed four-tenths of 1%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained two-tenths. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 closed little change from Thursday, and the Russell 2000 actually declined eight-tenths of 1%. There was a brief spike in the afternoon trade. It was likely related to Friday's huge quarterly options and futures expiration, which led to heavy volume at the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ throughout the session. Increased activity was also related to a rebalance of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. We saw mega-cap stocks, growth stocks, semiconductor stocks exhibited relative strength, while the rest of the market traded down. Selling efforts have been driven by a lingering sense that stocks are overbought on a short-term basis, Still, selling was modest considering the scope of the recent gains. The S&P 500 closed 14.6% higher than its late October low. The negative bias had also been related to a part to the New York Fed President Williams uh, uh, interview on the CNBC, seemingly contradicting Fed Powell's remarks on Wednesday. 
Treasuries also had a volatile response to the commentary that Fed President Williams, but things calmed down as the session progressed. So reviewing Friday's data, we saw that the December Empire State Manufacturing Index was down 14.5%. The November industrial production was up two-tenths of 1%, and the November capacity utilization was at 78.8%. The key takeaway from these reports is that the industrial production has boosted by the end of the UAW strike, which bolstered manufacturing output. If you take out motor vehicles and parts, the index for manufacturing index actually decreased two-tenths of 1%. And the December S&P Global U.S. Manufacturing PMI uh, was at 48.2, and the S&P Global U.S. Services PMI was at 51.3. For the week or for the year, as of yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 12.5%. The NASDAQ up 41 and a half. I talked about that last week, and the S&P 500 up 22.9, about the Magnificent Seven. A big piece of those index stocks, the, seven, the seven, Magnificent Seven stocks in the S&P 500, make up almost 30% of the stock. And those are basically your Facebooks, your Amazons, your Apples, your Netflix, your Googles, your Microsoft, and your Nevita. So you've got seven stocks that are making up almost all that gain in the S&P. And the Russell 2000 is up 12.7% for the year as of yesterday. Well, we like to kind of focus on different topics here for a little bit. And um, this week I want to explore what's happening in the space frontier. And we're seeing that advances in space travel technology have significantly lowered the cost of launching objects into the space. From, uh, from the iconic Apollo missions in the late 1960s to today, breakthroughs in materials and propulsion systems, notably by private companies like SpaceX, have driven down some of the astronomical, astronomical space exploration costs. The cost reduction embraces accessibility it fosters competition. It also unlocks opportunity for scientific research, satellite deployment, and potential space tourism And for more insights, let's take a look a little bit closer. Let's look at the actual number of space objects that are launched into space. The space launch landscape is experiencing an unprecedented surge in 2022, setting a record for objects launched into space. Astonishingly, the quality of objects launched into space over the last five years, including projections for 23, surpasses the cumulative total since the dawn of the space exploration in 1957 all the way through 2018. The U.S. has been driving the force, contributing the majority of these launches in the last five years. This surge is largely attributed to SpaceX's prolific endeavors, marked by the deployment of thousands of low-Earth orbit Starlink satellites. These satellites, which is a technological marvel, have not only propelled the U.S. to represent 78% of all launches in 22, but they've also enabled affordable Internet access to remote locations, revolutionizing connectivity. In contrast, China, the second largest uh, highest contributor, accounted for a distant 7.3% of the launches in 2022. So let's talk a little bit about the cost of space launches, uh, space launches into low-orbit Earth. Determining the cost of space launch vehicles is a complex task. One metric used by analysts is the launch cost per kilogram of payload. 
And while this cost has gradually decreased over time, adjusted for inflation, the significant drop began around 2010, when increased competition among private companies for contracts became prevalent. Presently, the launch cost per kilogram of a payload for SpaceX's Falcon Heavy has plummeted to approximately $1,500. Excitingly, projections for SpaceX's upcoming vehicle, Starship, suggests that the potential to, for costs to drop to less than $100 per kilogram, signaling a remarkable advancement in affordability and efficiency. Then one of the other things, let's talk about the number of times that the same Block 5 booster has been used because we're seeing reuse of these boosters. The significant decline in the cost of space launches can be traced back to the pivotal moment of December 21, 2015. It marked a historic occasion when, for the first time, a rocket's first stage was successfully returned to Earth and landed. This, initi- this marked the initiation of SpaceX's commitment to, re- to reusing their first stage rockets after an initial goal of achieving up to 10 reuses before retirement. However, as of November 3rd of this year, SpaceX has surpassed their own expectations, breaking their previous record for rocket reuse as one of these rockets completed its 18th successful launch. Block 5 is the latest iteration of the booster and is initially launched in 2018. So far, SpaceX has used a total of 35 new Block 5 boosters. 18 are no longer active. 12 are expended, and 6 are either destroyed, lost, or scrapped. And 17 are currently active with at least two successful flights. Interesting things happening out there in that area of the world. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We'll be back shortly. Are you looking for an auto shop that offers honest quality service? Hi, I'm Kirk, owner of Angler Automotive. At Angler Automotive, we strive to make sure that all of your automotive service needs are met. Angler Automotive provides the factory recommended services that are required to maintain your vehicle's warranty. Angler Automotive, outstanding quality with honest, reliable service. Check us out online at anglerautomotive.com. Get the very latest on real estate in Whatcom County and Northwest Washington with Windermere real estate experts Rick Todd, Julie Brown, and Lyle Sorensen. The information and analysis you need, whether you're a buyer or a seller. Radio Real Estate with Rick Todd, Julie Brown, and Lyle Sorensen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Brought to you by Windermere Real Estate on KGMI AM 790 and 96.5 FM. This week with PNW Perks, get authentic Indian cuisine or a fresh slice of pizza with Tandoori Bites and all-time pizza. Tandoori Bites is now in Bellingham and Linden. You'll be amazed at the unique menu of -of one-of-a-kind foods that take your taste buds on a journey overseas. Enjoy a bountiful menu featuring tender butter chicken and succulent baked tandoori meats, plus plenty of vegetarian and halal options. For a special dining experience, eat family-style, complete with authentic Indian-style seating. The new Tandoori Bites Linden location also features a sports bar with local craft beers, Indian beer, wine, and a full cocktail menu. Tandoori Bites Linden is also home to all-time pizza, 21 different flavorful pizzas to choose from with a tasty variety of fresh toppings. Dine in or take out. Thursday with PNW Perks, you can get a $50 gift certificate for just $25 to Tandoori Bites in Bellingham or all-time pizza and Tandoori Bites in Linden. PNW Perks certificates are good for both locations. Get your deal Thursday at 8 a.m. only at pnwperks.com. 
With more ways than ever to connect to news and entertainment, 90% of new car buyers want the tried-and-true AM-FM radio option. Gadgets are great, but when you're behind the wheel, you just want that local connection that you can't get from online apps. Local radio is dependable and free, with no subscription cellular data required and no fumbling with a separate device. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM radio stations like KGMI and how you want AM included in your next new car. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. Find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. Israel is mourning the death of three Israeli hostages mistakenly killed by Israeli soldiers in Gaza City. The BBC's Frank Gardner describes what happened. They had a stick with a white cloth on it, in other words, a surrender flag, to show that they were no harm to anybody. The Israeli soldiers who fired on them were told broke their rules of engagement. A jury has awarded major damages to two former Georgia election workers who sued Rudy Giuliani for defamation over lies he spread about them in the 2020 election. Giuliani, immediately after the verdict, said he's going to appeal. And appeals in the federal civil system can take many months. So it's unclear when or if either woman will get even a dollar. CBS's Scott McFarland. It's a pre-holiday storm. The storm rolls right up the East Coast. Significant wind, significant rain, and even ends with some snow. That is Mike Bettis, a meteorologist at the Weather Channel. CBS News Brief. I'm Linda Kenyon. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. And I gladly stand up. Welcome back to Wealth Week of Live. Saturday morning, going to talk a little bit about what's happening in the world of artificial intelligence and how it's being amped up, because we're seeing incredible advances in artificial intelligence, and they're foremost in many investors' minds. Many of our large-cap stocks that involve directly in providing AI services, such as software and infrastructure, have surged this year. But there are other ways to invest in this potentially paradigm-shifting technology. AI demand, particularly generation of AI, which is a branch of AI that focuses on creating original content by learning patterns from existing data, is intensifying. For example, ChatGDT has drawn over 180 million users in its November 22, since its November 22 launch, and enterprises are increasingly experimenting with how they can apply this to their own businesses. However, the immense immense computerizational international uh, computer, I can't even get that word out of here, compute, anyway, how much computer demand it is of AI require the development of ground-baking chip and, and, and server architectures, which together lead to greater power consumption for per server cabinet and higher electricity consumption from data centers. According to Schneider Electric, AI power usage has increased over 30% annually, 
resulting in a cumulative increase of four times the current usage over the next five years as measured by gigawatts. This growth would mean that AI workloads would account for approximately 19% of the data power center usage in the five years as compared with only 8% as of November of this year. This is a massive growth and may have important ramifications, potentially benefiting those companies that can help data centers cope with the related overheating challenges and improve uh, cost and energy efficiency. Additionally, we do believe that overall demand for electricity may necessitate grid modernization, potentially benefiting power management and electrical service companies that work with utilities and commercial customers. So a little chart here shows that... uh, if you look at the annual AI energy usage pro- projected to south projected to surge, and the usage in number of gigawatts in 2020 theory we're using about four and a half gigawatts. Do we expect that 30 percent annual growth? So that means by 2028, five years from now, that will jump to over seven gigawatts. That's a pretty big jump in usage in a very short period of time. Don't know if there's enough wind and solar out there that you can depend on to make that work or not. Okay, well, consumers are saying that their biggest pitfall to building wealth, and yet about half do it anyway. Uh, Basically, what they're doing is they're racking up over a trillion dollars in credit card debt. They're struggling to pay down their balances with more than 20% interest rates, 39% of adults now say that credit card debt is their biggest obstacle to building wealth, according to a new report. Credit card rates have spiked along with the Federal Reserve's string of 11 rate hikes, including four so far this year. So to keep up with the higher prices, Americans have racked up more credit card debt than ever this year. Not only are balances higher, but about half or 47% of cardholders are carrying debt from month to month. Rating as recycled is particularly hard to break. We now have 39% of adults who said credit card debt is their biggest threat to building wealth. And even among wealthy respondents, those between ages of 45 and 70, household assets are up about $3 million. 32% of them said the same. Unlike other types of debt, such as mortgage or even student loans, credit card debt is not secured by the asset that potentially gains value over time. For that reason, taking too much credit card debt can chip away at a person's financial health. Yet we have a prolonged period of higher prices that has caused consumers to spend down their savings and lean on credit anyway. Credit card debt has also spiked, as our annual percentage rates have also on the rise. Collectively, Americans now own a record $1.08 trillion on their credit cards, according to a November report from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. At the same time, credit card rates have spiked along with Federal Reserve's string of 11 rate hikes, including four so far this year. The average annual percentage rate rose from less than 15% as recently last year to more than 20% today, which is also an all-time high. So despite the steep costs, consumers often turn to credit cards in part because they're more accessible than other types of loans. And that spending comes in expense of long-term financial goals. If you're not grounded in your long-term goals, short-term budgeting, it can get away from you. 
So instead, you need to set up your long-term goals and basically work backwards. Credit cards, however, are used well. When they're used well, they can help achieve your financial goals. For example, consumers who pay their balances in full on time every month keep their utilization rate or ratio of debt to total credit below 30% of available credit can benefit from credit card rewards and higher credit score, which paves the way to lower loan costs and better terms. It can also be significant when it comes to major milestones, such as buying a house or qualifying for an apartment rental. So in the end, it's the decisions that the consumer makes about how to use their credit card use that determine whether or not it becomes a financial threat to building wealth or a tool helping them achieve their financial goals and objectives. So interesting, we're seeing a huge increase in credit card debt. We kind of saw that, knew that was happening, but it's getting... uh, it's accelerating is what it's doing. It's accelerating. Not, 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 funny, not fun acceleration either. You know, 529 plans, uh, college savings plans, education plans, do a lot with them, find them to be a very attractive way to save money. But after years of putting away money in a, co- a children's college education, if you're ready to reach into your 529 plan, you send your kid off for the best years of his or her life, but while making 529 withdrawals is as simple as clicking a few buttons, the consequences are complex. Next steps could trigger tax penalties. So you should consult and, and, and make sure that you should consider a number of a few points before you tap into those savings. So what do you need to do before you're making a 529 plan withdrawal? Well, unlike a 401k plan, you can withdraw as much as you want from your 529 plan at any time. Your 529 plan withdrawal could hit you with severe tax penalties if you use it for non-qualified expenses. Now, again, 529 plans are really attractive because you put the money in. If you may not be aware of it, but this money that grows in that plan grows tax-free. And so that money that's used in there grows tax-free. The withdrawals coming out are also tax-free. And basically, your 529 plan covers qualified educational expenses. As long as it's used for that, it comes out tax-free, as I mentioned. And while the IRS is generally loose in what it defines as a qualifying expense, you need to know exactly what you can safely use your 529 plans on. So here's a few examples. Number one, you can use it for tuition and mandatory expenses in eligible schools. Number two, you can look up, use it for books and other materials that your beneficiary requires to take courses. The electric, electronic equipment, such as computers, printers, educational software, internet access is required for enrollment. Special needs equipment for disabled students may need it also to attend classes. You can also use your 529 plan to fund room and board at a beneficiary enrolled at least half time. However, the price you pay can exceed, can exceed the estimated cost of on-campus housing. So you can't, you can't, can't exceed on-campus, on-campus housing in what you're using. You can all usually get this information from your school's financial aid officer's website. But you remember, when you can use your 529 plan money in conjunction with financial aid packages, scholarships your child earns, so you don't have to stop taking steps to get more financial aid. So you can still apply for financial aid and what have you, and then bake up the balance with your 529 plan. Both of these options, financial aid coupled with your 529 plan, can help you close the college cost gap. A 529 plan will not always cover everything, however. 
So making 529 plans of the withdrawals is simple. In most cases, you consider you should consider taking certain steps before you touch them. We move forward only when you know exactly what you owe to the academic year. For your 529 plan, can cover this without slapping you with a tax penalty. So it's important to make sure you do it right. In some cases, however, this penalty can add up. It can be a to 10% penalty. So if you use it for something that's not qualified, you pay the taxes on it plus a 10% penalty. So, for example, if your child owns a partial scholarship, the IRS does, however, permit you to take a non-qualified withdrawal in the amount of that tax-free scholarship penalty-free. So if your child goes to school, gets, an, gets a scholarship, you are actually able to take the amount of money back out of your 529 plan equal to what that scholarship is and not pay taxes on it. The same scenario applies if your child attends a U.S. military academy. But there's, you may still owe federal income tax and state taxes on earnings portion of the plan. So uh, if you take it out for non-purposes, your non-qualified purposes, you do get stuck with those federal income taxes. So how do you make your plans? Well, or withdrawals. You know that you can pay your 529 withdrawals. You're ready to take money out. The hard part is over. A lot of cases, you can just log into your plan. You need things like your bank routing numbers, your bank beneficiaries, banking information, also the, the child's student ID number, et cetera, in order to take that money out and pay it to the institution. Your withdrawals become problematic when you don't use the funds on qualified expenses. When you make a qualified withdrawal or non-qualified withdrawal, the earnings portion will be subject to federal income tax and that 10% penalty. So it depends on how much your account grew after your non-qualified withdrawal. So let's say you put in $14,000, your account balance climbed to twenty. In this case, contributions made up 70% of the balance. The remaining 30% is earnings. So let's say you take that $10,000 non-qualified withdrawal. You're going to owe taxes on 30% of it, or $3,000. The cut, the, the cut equals your federal income tax bracket plus 10% penalty. So if you're in a 24% bracket, you are going to owe 34% taxes on that 3000 So it's really good to use it for what you're supposed to. I'm going to take a quick break because we're running up against break time. We'll be back, and I'll finish talking about 529 plans in a second here. A crisp company logoed shirt and uniform from Bergen. Whatcom County's local logo apparel experts makes your employees look and feel more professional. Bergen pairs their commitment to personal service with professional results, specializing in embroidery and all kinds of logoed promotional products. Unlike when you place an order online, Bergen's guarantees that your order will be completed on time to your specifications with a smile. Get your logo on the best brand names out there from North Face, Carhartt, Columbia, Russell Outdoor, Adidas and Izod, Van Heusen, Tommy Hilfinger, and more. Your employees will want to rep your brand in Bergen's logoed work apparel. And why not start a new company tradition with Employee Milestones Appreciation Customized Gear? Elevate your brand with Bergen Customized Company Apparel. From polos to sweatshirts, ball caps to bags and more. Bergen does it all. Give them a call to get a quote within 24 hours. Or stop by the showroom Monday through Thursday on Iron Gate in Bellingham. And online at bergenembroidery.com. At Puget Sound Energy, we're proudly aspiring to reduce our own emissions to net zero and to go beyond by helping others reduce carbon across Washington. Together, we're investing in local renewables, strengthening the electric grid, helping customers switch to electric vehicles, innovating with low carbon resources, supporting our communities, and saving energy along the way. Together, we're creating a clean energy future. 
We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealthly Live. Donnie with you Saturday morning. Thanks for being with us. And if you got questions for me, you can always give me a call at the office, 360-733-1200. I'm going to continue on with what I was talking about with uh, college savings plans or 529 plans. And I shouldn't just say college savings plans because these can be used for tech schools and other forms of qualified education. There's a significant list of opportunities out there where it can be used for other things other than quali- uh, other than college. So with the movement we're seeing with a lot of kids going tech schools versus going to college, kind of interesting the statistic that we're seeing shows that uh, we're seeing a huge increase in, in the number of men in particular, or let's say put it another way, we're seeing a decrease in the number of men that are going to college and doing some form of tech school, whereas the, there seems to be an increasing number of women that continue to go to college and get degrees. So kind of a changing dynamic there. Anyway, I was talking about if you take money out and you pay taxes on it and you do have to pay that 10% penalty if it's not qualified use. So it's, um, it's important for you to be able to understand what you're doing, consult a professional to help you understand that. So you need, let's talk a little bit, though, about non-qualified withdrawals. The IRS doesn't view all education expenses as qualified. So here's a couple of them that aren't. If, for example, fees related to school-sponsored clubs, if they, if they aren't, if even if they're educational. So you want to join a club at the school for different things, they can't take that as an expense. Electronics that have, have an, had, that have an educational function but are primarily used for entertainment, so gaming, uh, uh, different gaming uh, tools or gaming handhelds or whatever are not college education expenses. A health insurance policy that's issued by the school is not a qualified expense. Your transportation to and from campus is not deductible. And paying off student loans is not deductible. But if you're still pondering whether your 529 plan can fund an expense without throwing you in a tax hole, you can always reach out to the financial aid officer at your school or your child attends. A representative there can usually tell you about what costs of the academic years as well as what your 529 plan can tackle to, can play ta- tax-free. You should also, of course, discuss it with your financial advisors, and uh, especially before you make those withdrawals. It's important that you make those withdrawals, you handle them right, you pay them to the schools, you do the things that you need to do. Now, um, a couple other things I'll throw in here. 529 plans are kind of neat because uh, you can set it up as a parent or a grandparent. Uh, You put that money away. The money grows tax-free. If it's used for higher education, it comes out tax-free. So it's really pretty attractive. Now, one of the other things is let's say that you set money up for one grandchild, but that grandchild gets a scholarship. As I said earlier, you can take an offsetting amount out of the plan and not pay tax on it, which is – uh, which is attractive, but the other side of that is you can also change beneficiaries. So 
if you've got three or four grandkids or three or four kids and you want to go from move the money from one beneficiary to the other, in many cases we set up uh, 529 plans for the older child in the family, knowing that they may not use all of it and there's a balance left, and we've just gone ahead and re-registered that for the benefit of the next child down and the next child down. And so they're pretty attractive in that way. There's a lot of flexibility, so it's something for you to keep in mind. Uh, a couple other things that's going to happen here that I think is important is that the um, uh, as of next year, uh, effective January 1st, a couple of weeks from now, if you take a distribution from a 529 plan, you now will be able to pay that over and, and move it over to a Roth IRA. And so if your beneficiary has money left in their plan, they will be able to take that money out and move it over to a Roth IRA. Now, there are some uh, restrictions that ha- are in place. Number one, the 529 plan for the designated beneficiary must have been maintained for at least 15 years. In other words, the plan has to have been in effect for at least 15 years. Only contributions and their earnings made more than five years prior to the distribution are eligible for transfer. So you set up a plan, you set up when they're young, uh, but basically money that's been in there for at least five years can be transferred into a Roth IRA. The, L, the, the amount eligible for transfer each year cannot exceed your current IRA annual contribution limits. So if it's $6,000, you can move up to 6000 a year. If it's 7000 you can move 7000 a year. And the aggregate amount of such distributions from the 529 to a Roth for the designated beneficiary for all tax years, can't, you can move up to $35,000. Um, as of now, the IRS has not clarified how a 529 plan must be maintained in order to meet that 15-year requirement. For example, it's unclear if you roll over from one 529 plan to another or if you have a beneficiary change or an account holder change, if that's going to impact the 15-year requirement. So we don't know if you've gone out there and you set the plan up for one child and uh, then decided, well, you liked a different carrier, so you moved the money over to another carrier, or you decided that you moved the money over to a second child. We don't yet know. Uh, IRS has not defined where that 15-year clock starts and stops. And so that's something that's uh, probably still open for some discussion, but it is something to think about. Now, I got my own bias on that one. I'm not totally sure that, that, that rolling the money into a Roth, unless it's the only beneficiary that you have because basically it can be any family member that can be a beneficiary on the plan. I'm not 100% convinced yet that the Roth IRA option is the right way to go because if you've got a grandchild, for example, that you put money into a 529 plan, if they go to college and they've got a balance in that plan, it is that balance in the plan that could be rolled over into that Roth IRA. But the other option, as I mentioned a while ago, is you have that ability to go in there and change beneficiaries on the plan. And so if you can change beneficiaries, that means that you could leave that money in that 529 plan and uh, the child finishes college, gets married, has children of their own, and someday down the line you could change the beneficiary to the the great-grandchild. And so that money could move from generation to generation. In the meantime, it's growing tax-deferred, and you're not paying taxes on any of that money. So the idea that you've got that portability is something to think about. And so I think each individual circumstance is going to be something that we're going to have to sit down and take a look at and determine whether or not or which is the right way 
to try to go with this thing. And so I throw these things out there because I think it's important for you to understand that there's a substantial amount of flexibility with a 529 plan. And uh, property used, I think they're a great benefit. Um, I do want to make a note that on Wednesday, we saw the biggest rally in U.S. Treasuries uh, since several regional banks went belly up in March as traders took the Federal Reserve signal that is done with raising rates to ramp up bets that are more aggressive cuts in 24. Yields across the maturity spectrum tumbled, led by short maturities that are most sensitive to changes in monetary policy. The two-year note plunged as much as 31 basis points. That would be 0.31% to 4.42%. The five-year note fell below 4%, becoming the first Treasury security to pay a rate at that low since August. Longer dated did yields dropped at least 14 basis points at one stage. Following the last meeting of the year, the Fed policymakers published a new quarterly forecast of the overnight lending rate that they control while leaving their target range in the five and a quarter to five and a half percent. The median forecast for the end of the year next year was 4.625% compared with the median of 5.125% after their September meeting. Fed rates swaps that anticipate policy changes reprice the levels consistent with more than 140 base, basis points of easing up from 113 basis points before the meeting. So the kind of do-nothing meeting kind of was kind of interesting. Okay, Ray, did some interesting numbers. Going to hit something here real quick. I hear all these talks about soaking the rich for taxes. Well, the U.S. income tax system is basically designed to be progressive, meaning the percentage owed to rises as income rises. For a long time, it was so progressive that only the wealthy paid anything at all. It's not that case now, but the wealthy still pay a higher percentage of their income. The IRS, according to figures that were uh, published in 2020, which was our latest available, it shows that the top 1% of taxpayers collectively earned about 22% of the total adjusted gross income, but the top 1% also paid 42% of total taxes that were collected. The next 4% had 16% of total adjusted gross income, but they paid 20% of the taxes that were paid. So basically... What we're saying here is the top 5% of earners had about 38% of the total income, but between the two of them paid almost 62% of all of the income taxes that are being paid in the country. So if the goal for the wealthy is to pay the most, that is what is happening. The top 5% pay a larger share of taxes than their share of income, almost twice as much for the top group. Now switch this down to the other end of the system. And that is for the bottom 50% of earners, they earn about 10% of the total income, but only pay about 2% of all the taxes. So every time we talk about soaking the rich, you might want to think about that. Also, don't forget, businesses don't pay taxes. They pass it off to you in the price of goods. So that's something to think about. Thanks for being here. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Merry Christmas planning for everybody. We'll be here next Saturday live. Thanks for listening.